I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere. You know, the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show and keep on rocking. This week is a super fun, super special episode. We had the pleasure of chatting with the two ladies behind the Name Three Songs podcast. That's right. Name Three Songs is a podcast created by Sarah Fagan and Jenna Million. It's a music commentary podcast created to challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Each episode of theirs is a critical analysis on aspects of the music industry, including artists' careers, the media's contribution to controversy and sexism, and industry's role in creating and upholding these sexist archetypes. Some episodes include sexual misconduct in music and mental health and sexism on tour. They have a great social media presence and, and do fun things like host music trivia nights. Have you ever worn a band t-shirt and been asked to name three songs by them to prove yourself? Well, that's where their podcast name comes from. So clever. Sarah is a photo editor and journalist based in New York City, and Jenna is a digital marketing strategist in Austin, Texas, which makes them perfect for a podcast like this. In this episode, we talk about live journal groupies and the days of finding and meeting bands on MySpace. So enjoy the show and don't forget to head over to Name Three Songs and give them a follow because if you love us, you're sure to love them. Welcome, Jenna and Sarah from Name Three Songs. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. <laughs> well, we're so excited too. I think we have yeah, a fun... Yeah, I've really been looking forward to this. Yeah, I think we have a fun couple of podcasts planned with you guys. Oh, yeah. I think everyone's going to be really excited about this. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to be doing is we're recording an episode all together and it's going to go on to our show. And then we're going to record with you guys a separate time and that's going to go on to your feed. So people who are into muses and people who are into name three songs can get like a double dose of everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very pumped about this. Yes. Um, Just so that any listeners of ours who haven't discovered you guys yet, how about you introduce yourselves? Tell us what brought you two together to create your incredible podcast. And please tell our listeners the great story behind the name of your song, of your podcast. Yeah, so I'll do a brief overview and then I'll let Sarah get into detail. Um, so yeah, our podcast is called Name Three Songs. We challenge sexism and empower fangirls. Um I'm Jenna, by the way, just for voice recognition. And yeah, I'll let Sarah share the rest. Yeah. So hi, I'm Sarah. Um, So Jenna and I met through concert photography, like on the internet, as people do nowadays. And then we met in real life for the first time in England, even though I'm from New York and Jenna's from Texas. Um, (laughs) But I was getting um, my master's degree and Jenna was studying abroad. And that's when we like met in real life and we had a beautiful friendship. But because we both were involved in music, like there's obviously like that automatic bond no matter what. Um, And so during this whole COVID thing, whenever we would talk, we would just be talking about how much we miss shows and other whatever else was like going on. And we were both just frustrated of like not feeling involved in the music scene in the same way, especially Jenna, because Jenna like does more like behind the scenes stuff. (laughs) Um, And so I had one of those like 3 a.m. ideas (laughs) where like throughout all of quarantine I kept being like oh I'm gonna become a twitch gamer (laughs) 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 because I like bought a ps4 and like dedicated my life to it um but I was like that's stupid I don't know enough about video games to do that but I know enough about music but I had had like a a weird uh, conversation with like a male friend just about how like when he like sees women doing his job he's like other people think that they don't know what they're doing because they're women but not me <laughs> and it like frustrated and like it frustrated me the wait because you're you're not like all the other girls is that why <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably honestly <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he, he's been reading that. wattpad fanfic <laughs> um but yeah so it like frustrated me and like had been sitting with me for like a couple weeks and then I like couldn't sleep one night and I had this thought because I was just like oh my god that was his like quote unquote feminist way of asking me to name three songs and I was like oh my god wait I could do a podcast about like the fact that men automatically view women as less than when it comes to anything in the music industry. And so Jenna and I were in that point of quarantine where we text each other every other week being like, hey, we're being a bad friend. (laughs) Do you want to talk and then forget about it? And I called her and I was like, we're going to start a podcast. (laughs) And I was like, all right, I'm down. And I just, like, started, like, word vomiting at her being like, this is what I want to do. She's like, hold on, I need to take notes. That's how it starts. I I remember that right at the beginning, having so many thoughts and so many ideas that it was almost stressful to be like, this is the first episode and we need to get all of this stuff in. And then as you go along, you realize, like, things start to, like, calm down again. You get a little bit more focused, more clear. And actually, I have a question for you guys going on that but please keep going 
yeah so that was like a hundred percent what it was of like a vague idea of what we wanted and then I think after like a few episodes we finally figured out exactly what we were trying to get out of doing this um but basically the idea of name three songs is because I feel like every woman girl at any point in their life has had a guy come up to them whether that be at a gig or just like at a bar anywhere because they have no shame and been like oh nice Nirvana shirt can you name three songs and it's like Nirvana you're gonna question me about Nirvana it's like maybe if I was wearing like I don't know (laughs) like like a death heaven shirt like I get it maybe but still no yes still no (laughs) but (laughs) like I I don't know I feel like it would be one of those things where I'd be like okay maybe they're just trying to talk to me but yeah so I feel like it's a very common feeling that everybody has had and then legitimately like two months after we started our podcast every week there'd be a new TikTok that I saw about this and I'd be like oh how does TikTok know (laughs) about what and you TikTok about about what like there'd be a TikTok where some girl would be like yelling about men asking her the name three songs and I'm like how how is this happening when I've been on TikTok for literally nine months I've not seen a single one of these videos and then we start this podcast and all I see are name three songs TikToks Mm -hmm. Uh, I love it though because that's like it's so relevant still like this is something I think I mentioned to you before working at music venues I can't tell you how many men especially older men will come up to me and tell me a story about a band they saw there and then be like you probably never even heard about them and it's like I work in music business I work at a venue like you think I don't know that's history you think I don't like music like why yeah yeah right it's just it's unbelievable how that still happens. And yes, I've seen some of those videos too. I saw one recently of a girl saying she's only going to wear band shirts of band she doesn't know. Yeah. Just <laughs> I think we got tagged in that video like three times. <laughs> and I was like, this girl is a legend. For sure. That's, that's great. Um, I noticed so you had said like I had all these ideas at first and then we started to like get into our groove and I've been noticing that with you guys every episode that you put out every TikTok you put out every question that you ask your listeners for I'm like wow these like you're really hitting your groove and it seems like you're even getting more confidence and realizing like this is who we are and this is what we do and for what you guys are doing you know um challenging sexism and empowering fangirls you have to have like thick skin you have to have confidence so how has the reaction been so far from listeners from fans from non-fans How's it been going? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much. I really appreciate the the kind words. We, you know, it's funny because we started this as like, we're empowering fangirls. Like that was kind of our whole thing was like, we're trying to destigmatize like fangirls, like teen, you know, if you think of like teen fangirls aren't taken seriously, bands loved by fangirls aren't taken seriously, like One Direction, for example. And so we kind of started off down that path of like One Direction was like the first big band we focused on. Harry Styles um, said that in a Rolling Stone article. I think yeah. Brian Hyatt might've written it, but he was, he was the one that like maybe last year or two years ago had said about how important those fans are and that people aren't taking them seriously. And I was like, yeah, Harry. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Harry's our, Harry's our favorite. Um, (laughs) 
but yeah from there we started to like we started to kind of just yeah yeah like you said figure out what we were doing we definitely have gained a lot of confidence in what we're doing um we're really research centric podcast um and it's been really encouraging hearing back from people because like immediately people were like identify identify with this like i love what you're doing like sharing their own stories with us so we've had like such positive feedback and as we kind of like went along and continued and continued to get more critical about like the subject matter we realized like what we're doing is really challenging sexism like we're not just here to empower fangirls like yes that's absolutely what we want to be doing but like at the root of it like the reason that fangirls aren't taken seriously is like is because of sexism and it's it i don't it's been a bit eye-opening to realize like (laughs) this all-encompassing thing which like seems so obvious is like it's it's so it's so small and so fragmented all over everything we do and we're kind of like connecting the dots realizing how much it's laced through through everything even like our episodes like misogyny and songwriting it's like not something you think about a lot and now we've done two episodes on it and i'm like way more aware of like what's going on and in our like everyday occurrences Mm-hmm. That's so interesting that you said that because yeah, I was listening to that episode and it's funny because like I know a lot about music history and like I can tell you songs from the 60s and 50s and all that that like are clearly inappropriate, but I did kind of think that that had changed over time and to recognize oh no, it's like these are still being played on the radio. It's just a different way of dealing with it or it's not as sexualized but it's still there for sure yeah Yeah. a lot of what we've come across recently is like the the coded sexism of like especially in especially in rock music and rock rock and pop because that's what we focus on a lot it's like not really overt sexism but it but it's in there (laughs) yeah yeah exactly sneak it in as a treat (laughs) yeah yeah also sorry go on I just like where we're all coming from. Like, I'm happy that we're all to together um, and doing this because I think you guys are about 10 years younger than us. So I've never used the word fangirl before because I think we come from more of like that, the groupie uh, generation. But I yeah. like that we're going to be. Yeah. And like Ling said, we're ta- we talk. We- We've tried to branch out a lot more, but we are very much 60s and 70s and sometimes 80s based. But I love how you are talking about this in a more like current arena too, like the misogyny and like um, alternative music. And there was a lot of musicians and bands that I didn't know of. So I'm learning a lot from you guys, which is fantastic. That's what's so exciting is like we have had people like reach out to us and be like, yeah, like we we I've like started listening to this band or like I've read this book or done this thing and I'm like, wow, I'm an influencer. <laughs> and it's just like it's so cool because I feel like you do kind of get stuck in the music that shapes you. And like no matter how much I'm like, oh, I want to find out new music, I want to do this thing, I always wind up going back to that stuff that I listened to when I was like 12 <laughs> because I'm like predictable. But it's just it's it's so eye-opening and awesome for people to be like, oh yeah, like I found out this new artist because of you, or like I learned that this song that always made me feel a little weird was actually like warranted that I felt a little weird about it. And those sorts of things. And I'm like, that's amazing because like, and th- I think that's also why in the past, 
like five six episodes we've been focusing a lot more on like stats and research and that sort of thing was because of the feedback we were getting and we were like oh these people are like we're learning from you and I'm like maybe we should like actually teach them something (laughs) instead of just like assuming we actually fully know what we're talking about because I mean like we already had done research but it was a lot based on like interviews and stuff whereas now I'm like okay there's like data so maybe we should prove to them that these songs actually are affecting our brains instead of just being like Hayley Williams hated women so I hated women (laughs) and be like actually there's science that proves that that makes sense I don't know where I saw maybe it was like at the bottom of of an email or maybe on one of your socials about the backgrounds that you're coming from and like the degrees that you have. And um, I tried to find it again and then I, I couldn't, but it seemed like what you guys both have and what you're bringing to the table is perfect for this kind of podcast. Cause one is like, tell me what yeah. they are again. Yeah. Um. So my background is like digital marketing yes. and I, um, I've worked like on festivals. I've worked for like concert promoters. And so like, I've helped like produce like shows and stuff like that. Um, and then currently I work on like digital, like basically social media strategy type stuff. So yeah, I definitely have that like marketing brain. And then Sarah's like the more journalist, like focus side of it. Perfect. And that really comes across on like, and that's what we noticed at like right away was like, Oh, look what they're doing with their, like on Instagram and all these things. It's very evident. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. It's it's fun. We always say that like we somehow are like the perfect two sides of things because we're constantly teaching each other things and learning things from each other. And it's just those things where like even though like I've like done pseudo marketing before and Jenna's done like journalism and that sort of thing, it's just like the skills that you we're like it's just these skills that you don't realize that you have just because you went to school for something where you're like you don't need to go to school for this. I did this before I went to school for it, and then we'll be like talking about like TikTok scripts and they'll be like, you need to have the hook in like the first three seconds. And it's just crazy because once we started like implementing that more, like until TikTok decided to change everything and ruin our lives. But like before that, all of our videos were doing really well once we figured it out. And so it's just really, it's fun because we're constantly just like growing our skill set and like learning new things and getting to teach new things because of it. It's interesting how like on TikTok, for instance, it's like discussing these things is now not, I guess, like, I don't want to say a taboo, but not even obviously agreeing with these things, just bringing them up causes so much back and forth. And um, even with us, like we just got on TikTok and I haven't posted anything crazy or anything, but, you know, I mentioned one song with a 16 year old girl as the you know my Sharona as the lead and it's it is really interesting to see but also great how many people are having that conversation now and you guys really do that as well with your show I don't know because the thing that's weird about that is that it's like if you acknowledge the age of the like groupie or the muse or whoever then everybody's like it was different times they wanted it like they try and make it seem like it was this like 14 year old 13 year old's fault for like a grown man like essentially taking advantage of them but the second you don't acknowledge their age because you're like well they were like 16 so like technically like it's a gray area whatever they're like they were 16 how dare you not acknowledge that they were 16 how dare you make this like something that's beautified and I'm like 
I'm just trying to tell a funny story about like a groupie who had like carried butter in her purse. Like it's not (laughs) (laughs) calm down. And they were like, but she was 16. And I'm like, okay, the 14 year old I was talking about last week, you were like, she, she wanted it. So I don't like, there's no happy medium. And it's so weird. Cause it's as if like, the angry old men find the ones where you mention their age as a negative and like the angry old women find the ones that you don't mention their age and I'm like I don't know what to do anymore and yet somehow it's still always revolving around the women and that being something wrong as opposed to like oh wait a minute like Iggy Pop was sleeping with a 13 year old and writing songs about it and yeah putting them out and everyone was listening and singing along how did he get away with that like how did he actually get away i don't i don't understand you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop while working eating or even listening to this podcast and however you shop we all know and love the thrill of the hunt but do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals because rakuten shoppers do With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. He, he wrote the song so far uh, after the fact. Yeah. That, like, the statute of limitations was, like, so far gone. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess. But I mean, what a question. Like, what a question in regards to, like, how did he get away with it? We can we can throw that at, like, anyone. And it's, like, privilege, yeah, money, true. status. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will say, like, um, what's been so awesome about listening to y'all's podcast is getting to go back and, like, learn about this rock history and seeing just how connected everything is. Um, and we have an episode that just dropped today actually about like sexual misconduct and accountability within like current alternative music. And you, it's so like looking at the history, it's so easy to tie it back to like the, the, the prime days of rock and roll and like what people got away with then. And like they're continuing to get away with the same type of stuff now. And it's, it's almost like those, those rock stars were kind of like the blueprint of, you know, other musicians being like, I want to be like them. I want the fame. I want the whatever. And then, yeah, the, like the amount people get away with is just, is just crazy. Yeah. I think that explains a lot to do with like the eighties bands where it got like really gross for a while as well as because they were idolizing these Zeppelin stories and these like mythologies that you hear about. And of course they knew about Lori and these young girls and, I get why like you're this is your idol and you think like oh 
this is what a, being a rock star means. But I mean, it's a good thing that now people, I guess, are more aware of that being a negative. And but at the same time, there's still plenty of guys who that is the the rock star dream to them, right? It's not just about the music and the fans. It's about the sex and the crazy parties and yeah all I mean, that that's well. okay if if everyone's consenting and if everyone's an adult <laughs> like that's okay the problem is that there's, exactly there's a lot of young women who are being taken advantage of that's like the main problem it's my my favorite thing though that i have learned from your guys podcast is that keith richards is the only man you can trust and i never would have thought that he would be the only man you can trust and so whenever these like younger people comment and they're like oh another like old rock star i can't trust and i'm like you can trust keith richards (laughs) oh keith that's very true yeah he was uh it's like, and... like everybody was legal he would like never be in the room and i'm like you are a good man sir yeah <laughs> no like so violent well. or negative kind of stories it's all positive yeah yeah he the just like <laughs> i've heard like nothing but good things about lemmy from the women who knew him as well and that's also one that you're like oh cool <laughs> like i like that then well i love that so Tell us about like what what being a fangirl means to you. And do you guys, when you were growing up, was there a distinction between like fangirl and groupie? Do you remember that term being something positive or negative? Like when did that kind of come into your lives? Um, so I just like for all my life like I like I was on the internet like probably earlier than I should have been like I was on live journal when I was like 12 to like 16 I think and I just remember like there was definitely a a differentiation on like live journal in my space of like the girls who were like getting with the band guys and the girls like me who were just like I just love them I'm gonna make my own shirt with puff paint (laughs) (laughs) and then I hope that they'll be my friend even though I like made a puff paint shirt like (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) um so it was just I it was always that thing where when these like smaller bands that I would like go see would be like actually want to talk to me mostly because like I had a camera so like that sort of even though I had the puff paint shirt the camera like made me like a level above (laughs) it evened it out (laughs) and by camera you mean like not an iPhone you mean like a camera yeah like a yeah like a I would bring like my phone camera like a DSLR to like the shows to like shoot them and try and like be a photographer because I was still young like had no idea what I was doing um So I was in that weird middle ground of like the crazy fan that I could be trusted though. So it'd be like the, if somebody was being crazy, they'd like look at me for safety. Cause they were like, we know you, we know you're not actually crazy. You're just passionate, but like, it would never be like the getting invited out afterwards level. <laughs> um, but I think that like, I wasn't fully aware of like what groupies were until I was like 17. And I had a friend who specifically went on a diet to try and be a groupie and was like talking about it. And it was like, because she knew some girl who like who she she said and I quote got hot and all of a sudden started hooking up with like band guys and it was but but her way of doing that was like the whole like climbing up the ladder so like starting with a merch guy and seeing where you could land after that um and so there was like that weird connotation and I think it was more so in like the pop punk world of things of like these 
17 18 year old girls trying to like climb their way up ladders to like get closer to some guy in like a screamo band for no reason um and I just was always like I want to hang out with the bands but like I also just like love this band and I have posters of them hanging in my room when I don't want them to like come to my room and see a poster <laughs> of them in my room um so yeah so I feel like being a fangirl like means so many different things um because there's so many levels of it like there are those girls that like can't talk about Harry Styles without bursting into tears and then there's like me who I'm like well I'm like pretty normal but also I have like a watercolor painting of Harry Styles in my bedroom (laughs) and so it's like I just feel like it's whatever you want it to be like you can be that person who like sleeps outside a venue for like a day to get barricade or you can just be that person in the back of the room just being like I want to feel this music but like also I want photos with everybody or like I was always that I like reached that point where I was that asshole that's like I just want to talk to them I don't need a picture (laughs) 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 because I I think and I think that's that thing where it's like I didn't the connotation because of how groupies were perceived in pop punk was always kind of like negative because like after listening to your podcast like I guess like some of the people who I thought of were like groupies were just like they were their girlfriends but because they like bounced around from like band guy to band guy I was like they're a groupie we can't trust them and I'm like oh but they were like so cool what what, what am I talking about so yeah yeah, so I I feel like it, it it all sort of like bundles together and it's like kind of the same thing in the long run I don't know what you think about it Jenna Um, Yeah, I definitely can see myself in a lot of those scenarios Sarah mentioned. Um, I think when it comes to groupies, like, there's always that feeling of, like you mentioned earlier, like wanting to be the cool girl, like I'm not like other girls, like that whole thing. And I think that even boiled down to like a fan level of like, I remember going to shows and like waiting to meet the band afterwards. And it was like me and my like little pod of friends. And then there was like the, the girls over there and their pod. And like, it, it, it wasn't like we hated each other, but it was just like this unspoken rivalry of like, who's going to be the better friend. And, like, none of us were, like, really trying to hook up. I mean, I was pretty young, so I was a bit naive to that. Like, I wasn't trying to hook up with them or anything, but it was still just, like, wanting to, like, be their friends or, like, wanting to get more attention. And I think – I don't know. It's just so interesting that there is that rivalry even among fangirls. It's, like – we're all here for the same reason. We all love the same music. And like, at the end of the day, like probably none of us are going home with that dude. So (laughs) why are we hating on each other? Like, especially if they already have a girlfriend, it's, I don't know. Like the rivalry is like, it's like, I don't know, something else. But I think I didn't like really, I almost want to say like, I didn't really realize like groupies were a thing until I was a bit older. And like, could kind of like step back like I would say like when I was in college and like in my 20s like I could kind of like step back and realize and like see like the younger like teenage fangirls and like like recognize myself in them and just kind of like more be more observant of like the different like scenarios that were like all going around like and especially you know working behind the scenes in music you get to see a different side of it for sure I remember it's funny when you were talking about all that it like brought back memories where I'm like oh yeah that's more of a groupie memory memory and this is more like a fangirl memory yeah um I do remember being like a teenager and me and my friends baked cookies vegan cookies (laughs) for a band because they were vegan and we like 
wanted so badly like an excuse to talk to them and meet them and like of course we brought them the cookies and like then we became friends with them and just these like little ways of trying to find again like how you fit in like you want to be a part of this community and you love this music so much and yeah it's sort of just like finding your place in there and I was definitely on live journal as well and I was writing my stories on there, talking about whatever show I was at the other night. And can you, I definitely experienced... Sorry, what? Can you guys, when you finish your sentence and your thought, just explain to me what live journal is? Because I know you've, you've talked about it, but I don't even really know what it is. So explain that to me when you're done. Okay. So what my live journal experience, it's just like um, a blog, you write it's like a diary online it's like a diary mixed with reddit (laughs) yeah yeah and you can have communities like that's where the vintage groupies community was and not just me but everyone in the community would post photos and stories about uh groupies and muses and everything from the past so yeah it's just like it's it's, it's literally a journal that's live online Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you could have you would have like your private you would have like your own one which you can make private and like friends only and people would like have to like you didn't have to do this but what I remember was like people would have to like give you information about them and you decide if you trusted them and you could let them into your private journal and then there'd be yeah. like communities for like Fall Out Boy or like rock bands or whatever and then you can make like public posts on those communities and people would comment and then you could like make friends or like just watch people interact so what yeah. was the lifespan of live journal like 2000 and something to what i think it's still running it still exists i sometimes go and check on that <laughs> uh like the vintage groupies one is still there if you wanted to look back i don't know if all the photos will be up anymore and everything but the skeleton there exists still. I, mean, I yeah. only ever heard of it because of you, Links. Jenna, were you on Live Journal at all? No, I didn't even know this existed until Sarah brought it up. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, I knew what MySpace was, but I wasn't on MySpace. And then, I mean, because, like, I had, fr- I was probably, like, I was still in middle school, so I must have been, like, 12 or something, and I had some friends who were on MySpace, but I was just like, ooh, MySpace is a bad place. I'm not supposed <laughs> to go there. Um, but then once I got into, like, uh high school i say probably when i was like 14 15 i was on tumblr and twitter so i i more grew up like with like the tumblr phase of things it's just like the next gen of yeah that but i remember being on live journal and um before i had like a private journal because you know when you start you're like everyone can read this and then suddenly you're getting comments from people and you're like oh maybe i don't want everyone reading this (laughs) Um, but yeah, I would tell stories or like hang out with bands and stuff and I would get a lot of like fun comments. And then all of a sudden I would get these girls who weren't so nice about it. And, um, I remember specifically like one girl just like tearing me apart constantly on everything. And then a guy that I was dating who was in a band showed me like all these text messages that he had from her where she was like, obviously interested in him and I guess he wasn't and she just kind of took it out on me online oh my god it's just so like ridiculous that we grow up in a society that like pits women against each other to the point of that happening of like she's like I'm gonna tear you down because this guy's not interested in me instead of like getting mad at the guy she's like getting mad at you exactly and yeah I think that's like an insecurity that's built in because of like 
what we're given, right? Yeah. yeah. It's I definitely don't... something we, we've grown up with our, but yeah, Sarah, what were you going to say? Oh, I, well, the thing that I have always thought like weird and interesting about these like websites where we share like our personal stuff online just to the ether, hoping somebody connects with us. <clears throat> And, like, the weird thing about being in, like, that in-between level of, of like, fangirl to groupy thing where, like, fans are, bands are friends with you, but, like, people don't understand because they're not part of that friendship. And there was, like, in the pop punk scene, there was, like, a live journal community called, like, the, well, there was two. There was one that was, like, Fueled by Ramen Trash, and the other one was, like, Fearless Trash, and they used to just, like, shit on these bands and, like, the people who were connected to them. And, like, every three months, there'd be, like, a post about, like, oh, like, leave a comment about somebody who, like, thinks that they're cool in the music scene and, like, actually isn't. And then people would just, like, have these conversations just, like, tearing apart people. And I just remember that, like, the first time I saw one, a girl that I was friends with somebody had posted about them and I just like commented on it because I was like naive and like 14 and I was like you don't know her why are you assuming that you don't that like you know what's going on because it's like I grew up right outside New York City so like I was going to shows like with my mom but like when from when I was quite young and I would like meet friends at those shows and like that whole thing and so like I knew her but like we weren't close or anything, but I did know for a fact that she was like going on this band's tour bus. So I'm like, I don't know what you guys think, you know, but I know that she's good enough friends with them to go on their tour bus. And so I like tried to stand up for her. And then because of that, I was like, had a bullseye on my back. And so like two years later, when I was friends with a band, I like started, people started like being like, how can she be friends with this band? Like they're from the other side of America. Like she's like, 16 years old like who does she think she is like all this stuff and I was like what is happening that like there and and I think that that's like why now I've become so aware of like internalized misogyny and like all these things that happen within the world of music is because like when I was young and I think that's also why I was like afraid of like liking bands with girls in it or like having lots of female friends when I was young because these like girls on the internet were like you can't possibly be friends with this band because you're like two years younger than them and not from the same state and I'm like that's not how friendship works (laughs) yeah interesting like were you on MySpace Shanti or anything like that like yeah not really I um I guess I kind of like straddled that line a little bit, but leaned more towards the non-technology side of things because when I grew up, I had um, like MSN Messenger and things like that, but I lived in a small community in Northern Ontario and there wasn't a lot of um, musical things happening. It's come a long way in the last couple of years, but there was no huge musical community except for like Chester's here, <laughs> except for like my brother had a band mm-hmm. and I, my first boyfriend was a guy in my brother's band and I kind of had a crush on the other guy in my brother's <laughs> band too. So like that's where I started with that. And then it wasn't until like there wasn't, I didn't go to a huge music high school. So I always felt like there was something missing. I just didn't know what, but even then in high school, I didn't have a cell phone until maybe like my last year of high school, I had like a little phone that had T9 on it. So you couldn't even take photos on it. My first two years of university, my girlfriends and I decided to have like a house phone and we decided like, cell phones weren't really for us so we started going to shows and we started meeting bands that way 
because I luckily went to a university that was a huge musical community just outside of Toronto, like the the town bred musicians. You could throw a rock and hit one if you're walking down the street. So it was perfect for me. Um, so I really got to know people that way. My friend was more on MySpace and she showed me about it. And it wasn't until, I don't know, years after that, that I was online at all and on Instagram. So I've never really like met or interacted too much with like artists or musicians via the internet until really this podcast started. And it was more for like reaching out for interviews and things like that. And by that point, all of the musicians that I had met, um, you know, years ago had then like gone on to do this for a living. And then through that, we're able to get, you know, like passes to things and Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. I remember going on MySpace and writing like newer bands that hadn't really toured Toronto yet, or maybe it was their second time around. And I would write them and be like, dying to go to your show. And they'd be like, great, you're on the list. Like, here's a pass. I remember dancing on stage with Eagles of Death Metal because they said that they would give me a pass if I go-go danced with them on stage. And I was like, absolutely, I'm going to do this. I I don't think people realize like also like just, we, we always say me and Shanti like a no is free. If if you want something, just ask or, you know, put yourself out there. You never know what's going to happen, right? That's okay. I love that story. That's so interesting. And I think like, I, I think social media has changed this a lot because I don't know that like that would be possible now. Like for somebody who's like, if you, especially if you don't know the band, because they get so many DMs and like comments and replies all the time. I guess it also depends like how big they are, but I don't know. I feel like it would be, it would be harder to do now, but I don't know, Sarah, if you have thoughts on that. I mean, a hundred percent. Like when I was on MySpace, when I was like, cause I was like, MySpace and LiveJournal were like still the same thing where I'd like post a MySpace bulletin being like I posted this on LiveJournal if you're my friend go read it whatever but like I would like be on MySpace because that's where all the bands were and if I liked a band and I saw that they were coming near me I'd be like here's like three photos I've taken do you want to let me come take photos of you and like nine times out of ten they'd be like sure come on or whatever the case was and I mean for a while and I think I've said this before like in other things that we've done but it's like when I started doing like music journalism it at first was like you just message the band on MySpace and they'd be like here's our manager's MySpace ask him because like we don't have any control over this and the manager would just be like yeah sure we don't know anybody in New York you have a camera cool and then it would be like the man and then it would be like two years later and the manager would be like oh we have a publicist now can you ask the publicist and the publicist would usually just be like oh yeah sure and then I think like a year later one publicist that I like knew relatively well was like can you write at all <laughs> and I'd be like I was like yeah I write fan fiction <laughs> nice. amazing and because like she wasn't even that much older than me because it was like a small record label so I think she was like just out of college and she was like well if you like writing um because like blogs are getting more popular now I can get you more access if you like do interviews or write reviews along with your photos instead of just posting your photos on your myspace and I was like yeah I can do that (laughs) and so I just was like now I need to start a blog I guess um but yeah I mean like in the early days it was so easy and I feel like since like 
2012 probably is when it stopped being like accessing bands was a simple thing Mm. um even bands that like I was friends with it'd be like if I didn't have somebody's phone number even if we were like Facebook friends the amount of times I'd like get to a show and they'd be like why didn't you reach out and I'd be like I sent you five Facebook messages asking like what was going on because like this time last year we all were like having dinner and now I'm like don't and he's like oh I get so many Facebook messages that like I don't know when I'm ever going to see anybody that I know. And I'd be like, this is weird. What I love. Yeah. I was going to say just having so many more people online on social media, it definitely has like, that's such a norm now to like witness people just constantly updating, living their lives and everything. And yeah, if you're the bigger you get, I'm sure the more DMs and everything you're getting and it is an interesting thing. What, that what I loved about living in a smaller community or a town outside of a big city, because if bands were touring there, usually they were just coming from Toronto or they were leaving to go play there. So in this city that I lived in, there's like a main street and then like another street that crosses it. And there's one, two, three, four, five music venues in two in, in a like one or two block radius. So you could walk outside the marquee, see a band, not know who they were, but you could essentially hit up three venues in a night and they might not be huge in that town, but they're probably going to go play like the Phoenix or somewhere huge in Toronto or something. So it was a lot easier to just like stumble upon a great band and not have to like rely on like, are they going to message me back? And so that's why I feel so lucky to have had been like in in that specific time where you could it felt kind of like back in the 60s and 70s where you wander into a venue. You don't know who you're going to meet, but you're like, oh, here's like a hot band from Texas that, you know, we get their number and then we continue to be friends for years and you get to watch them grow kind of thing. And then that's how you were able to get the number. But um, I don't know how what I how I would have done if I had to rely on technology and things. I probably wouldn't have made the connections that I made. I think, again, it just really depends know. also on like who you're going for. Uh, I'm not going to ever reach Mick Jagger on social media. Like I know that. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, if you're just discovering like young bands that are starting out or maybe just putting out their first record or haven't even yet, then like you said, you can grow with them and they're definitely going to be more open to, you know, being on platforms like that and socializing and everything because they are trying to grow their base. And that's always more exciting too to like find someone you love and grow with them, you know? Yeah. And I would say like... um I kind of have a similar experience to you, Shanti, because I like being in Austin, Texas, you know, it's known as like a live music capital. Um, but and and similarly, we have like a street called Red River and it's like basically from 6th Street until 10th Street. There's a venue on every single corner. So it's like literally just a blocks of venues right there. It's really fun, really special. RIP live music right now. <sighs> um, but it's the same thing. Like you can just bounce around the venues and like you can go to like a local show and then there'll be like a big like touring act across the street. And then like sometimes you'll just like run into people because like after their show, they're just like going to hang out at the bars. There's only so many places places you can go yeah yeah exactly and and also like even though austin is like so well known as a music city um 
bands don't play the same size venues here. Like the draw is not as big as New York, as LA. And in Texas, Houston and Dallas draw way more people than Austin do. So in Austin, they'll come and they'll play smaller venues. And there's bands that like I've been able to befriend throughout my like college years to now, I would say that like in a place like New York City, it would be super hard to make friends with them because they know all the people, they're doing a lot of business related stuff. Whereas like in Austin, sometimes they're touring here and nobody knows them and I know them. So I'm just like having a chat with them and they're like, oh, do you want to come hang out after the show? And I'm like, yeah, why not? I mean, like, like they don't know anyone yet. And so that's almost been like an advantage of living here. For sure. Like coming from New York, like that's the one big struggle that I've had is it's like as a music journalist, like you, I try really hard to like interview bands and they're smaller, do whatever. And like the amount of times where like I'll befriend a band through interviewing them who's like, like I used to do this a lot, like after I moved back from London after undergrad, where I'd like find bands that like that were huge in England and like nobody knew who they were in New York and I'd be like I'm gonna be friends with this famous band and like nine times out of ten it worked because I just like interview them mention that I lived in London and then all of a sudden there's like that connection so now you're friends and but like it's it's always so like almost annoying like when they would be like getting bigger and they'd like message you and like they message me and be like we're gonna be in New York like we'll do photos we'll do this like have this whole plan and then like the labels like actually you cannot have friends you cannot do anything you have to hang out with us all day and I'm like you don't give like and that this is my frustration with like record labels is I'm like you don't give your bands like mental health help you don't teach them not to like groom their fans you don't do anything but like when they're in the city you're like you need to spend 24 hours with me personally even though I'm not helping you not be mentally deranged in any way (laughs) just like excuse me if they hung out with me for five minutes I would help them way more like any of you tell them to take a mental health day gotta hang well, out with Sarah. yeah I've actually run into that too where I've I've met bands whose like management has been really possessive over yes. the band and it's like well you're some kind of fan that like I don't relate to and that's why you got into the music industry so that you can be close to bands in this yeah. certain yeah. way but yeah you like but you're not one of the good ones you're like Sarah has a whole Sarah has a whole theory about managers because I feel like 90% of the time the manager is like 20 to 30 years older than the band and is just like a grouchy white man who like tried to be in a band in high school nobody liked his band and so he was like I'm gonna manage bands and like for the first 10 years he like enjoys it and then he just starts getting more and more bitter that like the manager is never the crew member that a groupie uses to climb their way into the band's access and so then by the time that he's like managing bands like younger than him he's like like properly younger than him he just like hates all women and is like you cannot come around me because I don't understand how you like music because it's not how I like music and I'm gonna make your life miserable (laughs) it's like because like even as a photographer like a publicist will be like okay we're gonna have an interview and a photo shoot we'll give you an hour to like get everything done or like an hour from lucky is usually like 30 minutes which I can usually push to an hour um 
but then like the manager will show up and they'll be like oh it'll just be like me in the band as like the publicist but then the manager shows up like 15 minutes into like a shoot and interview and be like we have places to be we have other things to be doing and I'm like I haven't even taken the photos yet and I'm only halfway through this interview like do you want your band to be successful and I just feel like sometimes they're like no I do not (laughs) (laughs) why (laughs) why are you like this but yeah, I've just like had so many friends, bands from like England to like message me at like the start of the day, be like, we'll meet up at like five at this place. And I'll be like, okay, cool. And then I'll be like waiting at that place for like four hours. And then it'll be like showtime. And they'll be like, hey, so sorry. Our manager like commandeered our day. And I'm like, of course he did. <laughs> Rude. Yeah. Being on tour must be difficult. And yeah, not being able to do the things that you want or see the people that you want to see. So have you guys dated musicians before? Do you tend to like go for those kinds of people or you just like a creative person or an artistic person or <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> I, I have a rule that that's not allowed. <laughs> Smart. Interesting. Because um, I feel like every band guy that I've ever been friends with is no matter how lovely they are and how much they talk about how much they love their girlfriend always lines up like being the worst boyfriend ever and like telling me about how they're the worst boyfriend ever and I'm like how what because <laughs> I feel like everybody assumes like oh if I date a musician it's gonna be like Alex Turner and he's gonna write me love notes and it's gonna be beautiful but like it, you always wind up dating Liam Gallagher and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's a no. <laughs> that's a no. I mean, like, if anyone wants to prove me wrong, DM me. But like, <laughs> um, I've attempted to, and it's never, it's never quite panned out. <laughs> what exactly the way you think it is, like Sarah said. Um, but yeah, but yeah. So I would say, like, definitely for me, like, love being on the creative side of it. Love working with with artists when when we have the opportunity to. Me and Shanti say that, like, with the podcast, learning about all these women, like, it's definitely the groupie that has them more fun than the wife or the girlfriend who, uh, you know, is going through the real highs and lows with these guys. And, yeah, that's not something most people would willingly sign up for. Yeah. Um, You know what's funny is when we did, like, our kind of episode on groupies, we, we had someone reach out to us. And um, we had this interesting conversation with them about like oftentimes like the muses and like the groupies, like they do kind of like experience those highs and lows and they're almost like that, that emotional therapist for the time being. And then like they, then the musician goes on their way and like kind of like leaves them in the wake of like whatever, whatever higher low was happening then. That's true. You definitely have to have a certain type of personality to be able to take that in and not have it affect you in a negative way either right well there's also like the whole internet meme thing of like how indie boys are just like gaslighting in a can so it's like (laughs) you you just know that they're gonna be like oh like next time i'm in your city we'll make it official and we're like whatever (laughs) do you think technology and social media has changed band behavior or like made them more accountable or just like more conscious well sarah and i because so we did like a two-part series on this like sexual misconduct business that's happening um 
And like, I, I think that social media, especially things like Snapchat, um, have made it easier for bands to like get away with a lot more, like a lot more misbehavior, a lot more, you know, having different girls in different cities and just like, it's easier to hide all of that, I think. Yeah. No, I yeah. completely agree. I think, I think like in some cases, yes, like, but also like, yes it is like makes it makes artists feel like they need to be more accountable and like that whole thing but i think at the same time it's like they're gonna if they like have the predilection to want to like do these things they're going to like test the waters because they're like oh because so okay so like when my first year of like university just i went to like an engineering school for but i studied photography and the my experience of that was that all of the nerds who were always hot got there and all of a sudden they were the hot people because the hot people went to like Tulane or like Buffalo or whatever (laughs) and so it's all these like guys who have never been the interest of girls because they're interested in something nerdy and then all of a sudden they're acknowledged as hot and sought after and then they become mean and like manipulative and gaslighty because they're like well girls didn't like me before but because of like internalized misogyny they don't realize that they're being horrible because they're like this is what you do and I feel like a lot of musicians have that same thing where it's like oh I was kind of nerdy I was like in band in high school or like I was just so obsessed with my music that like no I didn't talk to girls and so I feel like a lot of times when I've met bands, they either have never had a girlfriend or they've had the same girlfriend since they were 18. And then they're like cheating on them with like my friends. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you do you. Um, and so I feel like there is just that behavior of being like, oh, these girls are finally interested in me and I have social media so I can like keep track of all of them on like my Excel spreadsheet of the girls I'm working up with <laughs> or whatever. And they're like DMing them, doing whatever they can get away with. But then also because of social media, it's like a double-edged sword for them because if they are being gaslighty and manipulative, which like isn't illegal, it's just shitty. Like if enough girls are talking and they find out like, oh, we're all like, because I'm sure, well, just based off of like allegations that have come out against people, like there must be like groupy communities somewhere like on Tumblr or something where like at some point somebody's like oh you're hooking up with like this person from this band so am I and then they're like oh does he like do this shitty thing to you because he does this shitty thing to me and then all of a sudden there's like six girls who have had this guy do something shitty to them and then it's all over the internet with receipts because it's possible to prove that somebody did something whereas like back in the day if somebody did something shitty to you you just have to hope that like you people trust you enough to believe you yeah whereas now it's like I don't know like I feel like if they're a good person then yes social media has made things like easier and better but like if they have like the ability to be a bad person like they're probably going to be worse because of social media if that makes sense for sure yeah that's very interesting because Shanti and I talk sometimes like when we were hanging out with bands and being backstage and stuff one difference that we noticed from you know the women of the 60s and 70s was fans at that time were didn't really like having cameras around mm-hmm. you don't really see a lot of backstage photos with modern muses and things like that because it always felt like a taboo to like bring out your 
camera if you were back there already. Yeah. Especially if it, I find when it turned to your phone being a camera, like, which is why, like, if you showed up with your, you know, DSLR, is that what it's called? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like it's seen as like, well, you can't upload that immediately. Or, you know, you have to at least go get it or like transmit it to your phone and then do the thing and whatever. Um, but yeah, it like either people didn't have the camera attached to the phone or as soon as it was brought out, it was like, yeah, you're not to be trusted because what is this for? Who is the sending? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've definitely felt like hyper aware of that in the past, like when I've been hanging out with certain people like like very much like I'm not taking my phone out because I want them to trust me type thing mm-hmm. and almost like 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 if I did like they they it might break that trust or something well and I think that that's so weird like because of that, that does happen and I feel like the amount of times where I've been hired as a photographer and the band has been like we want behind the scenes photos and then at some point when they're doing something that I'm not even like this is questionable it's not questionable at all and they're like why do you always have your camera out and I'm like why are you giving me imposter syndrome when you, you hired me to me be here to be here and to take these photos but I think it's because there is just like that constant fear of like what if there's like drugs on the table what if there's like someone back here that like my girlfriend doesn't like or even if they're not doing anything wrong it's just like if they're just there and it's just that thing where I'm like but you asked me specifically to take lots of backstage photos and now you're like a camera oh no hang her and I'm like what is happening yeah Yeah. there are times I wish like there there was photo evidence of this and that so what I had to do is like I'd run home and I wrote it down in my journal (laughs) like so that's all I have you know like I can close my eyes and picture the times where I've been in this venue and that venue with this band or, you know, out for drinks with somebody. And I would love to have that photo now, but it just didn't feel right to, I don't know, to like cross over and be like, "Uh, can I just get a quick pic before we, you know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't a photographer. I wasn't there to take photos. That wasn't like my job. So it just felt, yeah. But I got my journals. (laughs) Speaking of journals, we kind of skipped over live journal a little bit. Sarah, you had some, we kind of, I wanted to learn about these women that you were reading about as a kid and sort of like your first entry into the groupie or muse or girlfriend kind of scene, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so as I said, like when I was first on live journal, I think I was like 12 or 13. I think probably 13 and I and so this was when like Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, like those sorts of bands were getting pop like more popular um and <clears throat> so I was like on all these like message boards and all these things and I would like watch people and like see who was like cool and like high like higher up in the scene or whatever just to like try and feel close to what was happening um because it was very fangirl behavior, if I do, <laughs> do say so myself, of just like trying to come up with like the most interesting way to sound cool, to like be in, be accepted to like a friends only live journal account to like watch what was unfolding. Um, but like my first like real taste of like seeing somebody be like, I'm gonna be a groupie and then wind up a girlfriend was <laughs> there was this girl named Jack Vanek who is now like a, a, a relatively famous woman like just like in the world of entertainment sort of thing like podcasting everything like she has a I think 
it, she has a podcast and I think it was a show on E! called The Lady Gang and then she also does like a true crime podcast um, called The First Degree but when I first became aware of her it was because she was like the queen of scene queens like <laughs> with like the teased hair and like the ridiculous makeup and it was like her and her best friend Audrey Kitching and they were like this huge deal in like the MySpace live journal like pop punk bubble and like this was like right before panic at the disco got like signed and discovered by fallout boy and um so jack was like the famous one and ryan ross who was like the mastermind behind panic at the disco was not famous and he would like comment on her comments all the time being like your profile pic is so cute like you have such good style like trying to like (laughs) woo her which I was like this is hilarious because I knew he was in a band but like they weren't popular I just had like seen him like trying to promote it on like different like pop punk sort of like communities (laughs) um and (laughs) and so I just like literally watched their relationship unfold and then like combust in like I think a (laughs) seven month span (laughs) wow um and it was just like it was insane and wild and like there's there's like a I think it's a tumblr post that literally like chronologically like explains their whole relationship (laughs) um and I, (laughs) I was like and it was just so funny because it's that thing where it's like I remember so much random stuff about this but like (laughs) the fact that like I was like reading this to like talk about this and I was like oh my god so many weird memories are getting unpacked from this (laughs) of like watching something happen when I was like I was literally 12 because it was in 2004 and like when they first started talking and um and then they like they started dating on Halloween 2005 (laughs) (laughs) It's just so funny because like she doesn't have a book so I just feel like a literal stalker. (laughs) Maybe you should offer to write her book. Like hey stop. (laughs) Um, But I did pull this from somebody else (laughs) so I have a link if you guys want that but basically like Panic at the Disco like gained mainstream popularity in 2006 and like I think like right after they like blew up Ryan and Jack broke up. (laughs) and so it was like they would like share all these like ridiculously like sappy photos and like posts on live journal all the time and they post all these photos of them making out and I was just like ew kissing (laughs) I love like you're literally watching it in real time like you see they're flirting then like them together and then you're like first fight like break up like you imagine like Mick and Marianne and like Keith and Anita and so, like if they had social media back then like doing this kind of stuff it's just it's I mean wild. they would have been though oh totally Marianne would 100% have been like <laughs> chronological like keeping track of the whole relationship on live journal um but yeah like and there was this whole thing where like over like that Christmas or something Ryan and Brendan from Panic at the Disco and then her friend Jack's friend Audrey they all lived in her like UCLA dorm room in over Christmas and they posted all these like disgustingly sickly sweet like photos of themselves like celebrating Christmas in like a tiny ass like dorm room in America (laughs) 
how did that make you feel? Like, did you want to be one of them? Did you I, feel like, did you I have think... FOMO? Did you just find it? <laughs> did you just find it fascinating? Like, I think I just found it fascinating because like my, like my parents like music, but they're not like hardcore music fans or anything. And so I just like never really knew that much of anything. Like my, like my, great aunt was like a Todd Rundgren groupie (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) like she has like photos of like her holding baby Liv Tyler like this whole thing like it's like crazy and um so that was like all I really knew was like once I started liking music she was like I'm gonna get you to like rock music and then she'd always be like I'll give you vinyls and then she'd like get really possessive over her vinyls and never (laughs) give them to me but true music she, she, she would like talk to me about all that stuff so like I just knew about like what she had done and then I'm on live journal watching this thing happen and there was no FOMO to be had Shanti because I saw everything happening <laughs> so it was as if I was there <laughs> you're like a third wheeling their relationship the whole time <laughs> like literally I think it was just like I didn't so much want to be her as I just was like oh my god it'd be so cool to be like friends with a band and like be able to like know what's happening when they're like about to get really big because it like I just remember like during that time they had shared that like Pete Wentz from Fall Out Boy had like discovered them and was signing them and I was like oh my god like Jack Bannon gets to be there while all of this is happening yeah. that's so cool um but then they time. like broke up like right when Panic at the Disco got really big and there were like these rumors online that Jack had like cheated on him and I was like 13 at this point and was like how do you cheat on somebody whose band just got (laughs) 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 how do you do that and like she posted like they literally broke up on Valentine's so I was 14 yeah like I was about to be 14 they broke up on Valentine's Day like 2006 and like she like wrote this whole like post about like it is like angry post and he posted some like poetry about it and it was just like this wild <laughs> breakup where then they did that didn't talk about each other for a while and then like two months later Jack posted like this whole post where she didn't name him but it was like clearly about him and like her anger about the situation and then Ryan just kept posting all these like like poetry things like about it and it was just like what a journey it was so wild and crazy and it was like just my first like remembrance of like seeing this happening and being like oh like you can like be (laughs) on the internet and like date a band guy like what's happening um so it was just like crazy watching that happen and then from that like being introduced to like this like myspace scene queen world of things of like these women who would like bounce around dating all these band guys but I think just like the longevity of these relationships are always so short that I I think from a young age was like you don't want to date a band guy because they're never going to love you enough. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If you want someone focused on you, do not date a musician. <laughs> it's interesting how like, yeah, like we're kind of the first generation to play out our lives on social media like that. Like thinking back to everything that you were reading about, like on Live Journal and everything, like I wonder if these band guys are now like, wow, why did I put... S- all my poetry out there (laughs) why was I telling my story behind some fight or something like um 
man, I just wish we had like, again, like old rock and roll stories up. Like imagine like Zeppelin doing whatever and like writing about it immediately after. Well, doesn't Jimmy Page have like a secret book in a vault somewhere that's going to get released when he dies? Or is that a rumor? I, I've heard I that heard too. That. He says like he can't release it because it's like brutal. <laughs> yeah, because like all these like people when when I posted about like Laurie Maddox because like we were posting positively about groupies and I was like okay like we just need to acknowledge like there were underage ones so you don't think that we're stupid and this one person or no I mean they were the first person to comment it and then like a bunch of other people were commenting like about how Jimmy Page has this like secret biography like autobiography he's written um but this one person like followed us and like would comment on like anything we posted about like that sort of era of rock being like Jimmy Page says that he's written about this in his book and I'd be like do you, are you Jimmy Page yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but like one of the comments I was like how do you know so much about this and they said that he had said it like they didn't send me a link or anything so I don't know like it was just like an egg so uh, who knows what like if they're serious or not but like they're like he said something about it in some interview about how like he can't release a book until he dies because the public perception of him will vastly change because of like all of the shit he used to do and I mean like you guys are talking are about we talk- we're like- talking about the briefcase full of whips yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah, I think people I'm know sure- this I don't know I'm sure he also talks about like kidnapping Lori so like what a time (laughs) and like imagine if Lori was like on live journal especially as a 14 year old on live journal speaking (laughs) as a 14 year old on live journal the things that I was writing about so like imagine what she would have written being 14 not knowing what not to share yeah (laughs) Well, it would probably sound like Miss P's book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like reading her like actual diary. And that puts things into perspective too. Because whenever I read my old journals, I remember being a teenager hanging out with bands thinking I was like so mature. And now I read those journals and like, I can't even finish a page because it's yeah, so like, embarrassing. It's so cringy. Yeah. I'm like, how did anyone think I was mature? Like that was definitely not what was appealing to them. My maturity. No. <laughs> <laughs> not saying that then <laughs> oh my god the amount of times where I've gone back and read like live journal or like tumblr posts that I made in like the mode where like only your close friends could read them being like oh so and so from this band said that we were gonna hang out and then he just disappeared <laughs> and then I got mad at him about it and then he got mad at me that I got <laughs> mad about it <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, okay, maybe I was crazy. <laughs> maybe I wasn't an insane person. I think we were just young. Oh just, yeah, hundred percent. I think that that's also like the one thing where, like, because we were like in our like sexual misconduct episode, we were talking about how like these fans are like the first guy that likes them is like this older guy in a band, and so they don't know any better, and they just are like, well. He, I like worship the ground he walks on so I'm gonna do this and I feel like even though nothing like these band guys that like I was friends with like nothing bad ever happened like it was never like that I think it was just like boys never showed me attention in real life and then these band boys are showing me attention and I'm like wow I'm so much cooler than everybody else I know because the boys who talk to me are in bands but then I would like be so insane about it because I'd be like why are you not paying attention to me my friend's boyfriends are paying attention to them and you're just my friend <laughs> and I'd be like because they're in a band Sarah <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> they don't live here <laughs> 
Uh, I can't wait till we can all get together in New York and Austin and Toronto and go see a show. Yeah. I had a dream last night. I was at a show and oh, I, I was, yeah, I just I can't wait. Yeah. It's crazy. It's been like a year. Hopefully yeah. by this time next been. year, back at it. Hopefully. Yeah. I miss music so much. All right. So if people want to jump into your podcast now do you do you recommend them starting anywhere like with your show do you want them to start from episode one can they start from the latest doesn't matter how do you feel about that any particular episode stand out to you that you're like I'm really proud of this one start here there I'll let you go first I don't know I'm like because it's funny because like the first episode was a bit of a mess but it does give like a good origin yeah story. the three song um, man <laughs> tells you all about man. the three song man <laughs> Um, which he does not deserve, but it is a good time. I don't know. I feel like my, like, I really think that, like, if you're interested in learning about, like, the sexism that does exist, I think that the episodes we have about, like, misogyny and songwriting are, like, both good places to start. And then based off of what you're interested in, we kind of have something for everybody. Um, but I think that those two episodes are like really well researched and thought out and sort of like teach about how that exists in like a multitude of levels, like even outside of like the songwriting. I don't know. What about you, Jenna? Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Like, I'm really proud of the songwriting episodes and they've been some of our most popular. Um, so yeah, I mirror what you said that and the, the three song man, which was our first one. I've been learning so much from you guys. Um, the songwriting one in particular, I had no idea Ed Sheeran was so uh, awful. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> to learn more about that, check out Misogyny and Pop. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and thanks um, for navigating, helping us navigate the TikTok community space. Uh, that's been helpful. We've been able to like send some stuff over to you and and laugh about it and laugh about comments or anything like that and i'm glad that we're all kind of in this together yeah um so besides like tiktok and uh where can people find you um we are at name three songs on insta twitter tiktok and then i'm at jenna underscore million and sarah is sarah underscore fagan do you guys have a patreon yet yeah we do yeah i thought so what so oh, patreon.com slash name three songs yeah yeah there we have go. some fun stuff like um we always do like deleted scenes from each week's episode and then we have like a monthly like bonus episode stuff like that so it's a good time oh great great yeah, thank you muses is researched edited and produced by us chantella mew and lynx o'leary Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But what 
wait. The excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.